To Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about the possibility of practicing the presence of God throughout your entire day. Is it really possible to have an awareness of and a participation with God's presence throughout your entire day right now in the 21st century? And we're going to actually use a... uh, a famous book um, mm-hmm. from a monk named Brother Lawrence. Brother who Lawrence lived in the 1600s, and who wrote a, who they put a book together after his death, uh, based on some letters he had written and some conversations he had had, called "Practicing the Presence of God." And uh, John, you and I, on a road trip recently, listened to the audible version of this book for about an hour. And you had some pushback on this. So we're going to discuss whether it really is possible because mm-hmm. it does seem seems like a long shot. Well, my I have a phrase that applies here more than anywhere I've ever read in my life, and it is, must be nice <laughs> to this Brother Lawrence. He lived, lived in a monastery. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into a little we'll get more. Into but that but little he, had a very, more. he had a simple, a simple life. He did. He did. Uh, before that, it is uh, joke and or story time, and it is your turn again this week. It is, and uh, I'm going to tell two short stories. Okay. Um, and our last episode, the sex episode, mm-hmm. uh, I did mention that I would talk about my dad's sex talk with me. I regretted not having you just take over the story time, because yeah. that would have worked well, but well, it'll, be good right. to, it'll be good to hear and it So here. I'm going to tell that short story, and then I have a Christmas story. Ooh, nice. Yeah, since it's getting Christmas time. So uh, now, I'll warn you now, if it's about your brother threatening to, no, to beat you no, up and no, taking no, your no, car. Okay. No, no, no. Because you've told no. that one here before, I think. No, I, I, I've, I have vowed some of those stories I will not tell until other family members in my family are dead. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, I had been dating this girl named Kathy, my first, you know, I guess legitimate girlfriend. Hmm. And so I'm a freshman in high school, and um, Kathy and I had been, you know, a pair for 10 months going steady yeah going steady and so one sunday my dad and i are sitting on the couch we're the only two in the living room we're watching a cowboy football game and my dad uh says uh you've been uh you've been going out with kathy for quite a while now haven't you i said yeah about 10 months you like her yeah i like her a lot well you know son uh (laughs) girls at your age they're very they're really fertile. <laughs> I said, stop right there. We do not need to have this conversation. He said, good. And he went back to watch the game. A man of a man who's good with words. Yes. And yeah. inside I was going, oh, let's please have this conversation. But I was too embarrassed to have it. Yeah. So that was the totality of my sex talk as a teenager. And uh, I hope better for others. <laughs> Uh, but it's, so, a, it's a good story about your dad. That's yeah, funny. It is. it is. So then my, my Christmas story. So every year, once once all the kids were old enough, where we didn't have certain, um, I'm very careful to describe these things so I don't ruin Christmas for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, once, our, once our practices moved on, 
Um, sure. <laughs> we can talk about healthy uh, sexuality, but we can't mention We can't talk this, about Santa Claus. Very, yeah, very specific <laughs> person we're talking about. <laughs> anyway, uh, then my mom would buy the gifts. She, she does. My mother is a meticulous housekeeper. Uh, she's constantly moving, so she's ahead. Mm-hmm. And so our gifts would be wrapped and stored in the house two, three weeks before Christmas. And so uh, we would constantly, every year it was a search to figure out where she hit them this year. And then uh, she learned after one year to stop putting names on them. She would have codes. Oh. Because that way we wouldn't know whose was what. Smart. And uh, one particular year, I'm in the fifth or sixth grade, and um, I'm, you know, carefully opening packages to see what's in them and yeah. sealing them back. Which, Peeling the tape off. Yes, which I always regretted because there was no surprises at Christmas. Yeah. And I did. I would always regret it at that point, but I couldn't not do it. It's a, a delayed gratification. Yes. And um, so I find a chemistry set. Hmm. You could make your own cologne, soap. <laughs> Uh, Sounds like a you could make household cleaner. It was this really cool, you know. Open up this whole thing, and there's chemicals and beakers and uh, burners, and you just this chemistry set. Wow! I had no interest in. Science. I was going to say, sounds like you were a big nerd. <laughs> I didn't know you were into that, but stuff. I wasn't. <laughs> but I I started thinking about this chemistry, and I started getting excited about uh, messing around with, with <laughs> you know stuff. So. <laughs> So at dinner one night, I was telling my mom, you know, I've suddenly got this interest in science. And I've been thinking about trying to make things myself. Oh, my goodness. Why would you even do this? I don't know, because I was an (laughs) idiot. (laughs) Anyway, so Christmas comes. We open all the gifts, and that chemistry set is not there. Wow. Wow. And so mom's watching me real close. And as we're playing with our toys and stuff, she says, uh, hey, Jimmy, you're wondering where that chemistry is? <laughs> <laughs> I said, what? She said, you go down three doors down, your little friend Billy's enjoying that thing <laughs> oh right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah, she gave it to another kid because I had opened it. <laughs> you know bright enough to enjoy chemistry but not bright enough to know to keep my mouth yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny yeah okay so let's talk about brother lawrence so uh recently we did a road trip and we were listening to this book um on audible and i had wanted to uh to hear this i have used the phrase practice the presence of god mm-hmm uh, most of my Christian life. I really like that phrase. How long have you been aware of this book? Is it very famous in your circles? or I have heard of it. it I would say it was so uh, normatively referred to mm-hmm. casually that I would be surprised to meet a Christian who didn't know about it. Gotcha. So, But I had never read it. Um, but somehow this, this phrase, he's famous for that phrase, practice the presence of God. Sure. So let's talk about Brother Lawrence, first of all. He was born in 16, either 1605 or 1614. You find conflicting information in France, and he died in 1691. Mm-hmm. He uh, was very poor, uneducated, uh, was a soldier for a bit, and uh, got pretty brutally wounded in war. Um, he never spoke of it again. 
and immediately after his war experience, decided to go back into the religion he had had as a child and to go deep. So he entered into a priory, and because of his lack of education, he was a layman there. So he wasn't technically a monk Mm -hmm. because he was a layman. And the difference between a priory and a uh, monastery, is there... I think they're kind of uh, synonymous. Okay. And so he lived there, and because of his lack of skills and his uh, injuries uh, he and his lack of education, he worked in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So he was a dishwasher and a cook for all the other monks uh, for that community for years. And then... His whole uh, life, right? Yeah. Then as his injuries got worse and he got uh, some infections, he couldn't uh, endure the kitchen anymore, so he became a cobbler, and he repaired sandals. So this was his entire vocational life after the age of about 26. He went into the priory at the age of 26. So Mm -hmm. for the next 51 years, people say he was 77 when he died, um, he lived in this priory, and his life was in a monastic, reflective community, and he was a dishwasher, a cook, and a cobbler. Mm -hmm. No wife, no kids. And so as you and I were listening to this book and he talks about, here's his, his most famous conversation is about uh, the presence of God during his activities in the kitchen. Though people would be yelling and they were notorious for yelling, the, you know, the food doesn't taste good. Give me more of that. In the, in the priory? Yes. Uh, I, that's, that's how he reports it, that it was loud, busless, uh, high uh, demand environment. Hmm. But in the middle of that, he began to really practice. He went there to spend hours in prayer and Bible study. He had an immense amount of guilt for his previous sins. Sure. And he wanted to be admonished by God. He wanted to be, is admonished the right word? Uh, Admonished, admonition. No, he wanted to be, he wanted to be forgiven. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he had this uh, intensity of his pursuit of God. I have, as a side note here, I have known uh, a few men in my life whose hunger was so relentless to be in the presence of God and in this, I would say, this state of spiritual being. Mm-hmm. Zen. Yes. And every time in my experience, that has been driven by a lot of guilt and shame. Really? Yeah. And this uh, this deep desire to be fully forgiven by God. Mm. And so uh, I think he had that. <clears throat> but he uh, began to, this habit of practicing God's presence. And his famous uh, framework is that even while I'm in the kitchen, washing dishes, people shouting, things going on, I am as much in the sacred peaceful presence of God. I sense his nearness and his attentiveness with me as much as any place of prayer I have ever been. He goes as far to say as he's doing right now in that moment, what he'll be doing for all eternity. He, he says he's already there full, full bore connected full stop, to God, connected to God a hundred percent. Yeah. And so uh, this became a, a very popular line of conversation. He became deeply loved uh, especially after his death, but he was very loved in in the priory because of mm-hmm. his character, his uh, humility, and so then afterwards, this book, practice the practice of the presence of God, became very famous. 
And so um, I remember, John, when we were driving, you were like, well, yeah, maybe I could do that too if I lived in a monastery, if I was withdrawn from uh, busyness of life, if I had no worries of having to pay a mortgage, balance my checkbook, Mm -hmm. uh, provide for a child or a spouse, or do something meaningful in the world. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we could all just go escape to a hilltop somewhere and just experience shalom with God? Right. Right? Right. Is there a part of you that that feels that way? Yeah. And um, you don't have to be that bright to realize the root of that is jealousy. Is <laughs> is obviously, I wish I wish I could do that. Well, would you be satisfied if, if that was your entire life, was to be in a sacred space in a remote part of even France, but say wherever? And your sole objective in life is to just be with God. Would that be fulfilling to you? Uh, it's hard to say. That's so far removed from my life, even though I live about as much like a monk as, <laughs> as a 25-year-old in our married town. Man, married be, man. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I was probably lament not having a family as, as you know, as immersed in the presence as uh, Lawrence was. I'm sure that was still hard on him every now and again. Yeah. To be um, alone in the physical sense like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have reclusive daydreams and tendencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I don't think I'd necessarily be happier there than I am now. Oh, and these are on acres and acres of land. They take walks. They pick fruit. They, you know, he was a cobbler. He was a kitchen worker. He had things to do at certain times of the day. They would also have a vespers where they would gather and worship and music. They would take communion every day. But and and uh, that's that's mostly the must be nice is full immersion. Imagine like the the youth camp high, maybe a hundred percent of the time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But and and he says you know uh, the hustle and bustle of this kitchen. He he kind of makes this. He allows this uh, assertion mm-hmm. that hey, it did get hectic, and I still was in the presence. Um, and normally. I have this thing, one of my other, we've talked about our codes for life and stuff like that. One of these is that um, from Adam to now, humans are really, really similar. Yeah. And uh, kind of a caveat to that is that guy, Lawrence, there's no way he could know how fast life can really move. What a smartphone was like exactly. to have that constantly with you or how email or The texting. level of connection to... What we presume is the whole world again. See my our codes for life, but the uh, just the speed of it all. And maybe I'm overestimating this and underestimating his time. Maybe it was plenty chaotic, and you, you know. But uh, for me, that's the must be nice is is to be even just disconnected. Even well, if I well, live my life without the internet right yeah, now, which yeah. probably couldn't even be possible. But um, even that would be so much less. I don't know. So that would be so much more doable. So the questions were, is that even possible in yeah, this life? So, so to put a pin in what exactly we're talking about today, it is, is it possible to practice God's presence in our life? Is it possible to, to maintain a heightened awareness of his presence with you throughout your day, even though we have this intensity and this volume of noise? Yeah. So my first yeah. question is, do you even want it? I'm challenging your must be nice. Really? You think it would be nice? Because you could have that. You could leave tomorrow, go to a remote place, scratch out a simple living, live a very simple life, and experience more of God. 
So when you say must be nice, I'm going, I don't think you really think that must be nice. I think that if you wanted it, you could go have it. The must be nice is not necessarily, um, I would kill for that. It is, it is, you don't know what you're talking about. That's the must be nice. Right, it's when like, right, right. Uh, uh, there's, I'm trying to think like a food critic. He's at like a five star meal that he got for free. And he's like, Oh, too much basil in my free five star right, meal. That's the, right. yeah, it must be nice. Yeah. Cry uh, me a river. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and a lot of it is, uh, the language is very, uh, hyperbolic. Yes. It's, it's, um, every second of every day I'm in eternity already. Bam. Now, no, no, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, concessions or anything. Well, I would so push back on that because he did, he did talk about that he would go stretches of time losing that awareness. Hmm. And then when he gained it back, he would quickly forgive himself and jump right back in. So one of his big, big deals is don't feel remorse. Don't carry around uh, shame and guilt. As soon as you have become aware of your distance, sure, close the gap and move on. Uh, that was a really big part of being in the presence of God because if you feel that now you've done something wrong and there's a chip against you, it actually sabotages your experience of the grace of God. So for sure. So he did say that he would he would at first fade in and out, and he learned to dial that in and have that occur way less often. Yeah, and and so this. We're starting off with definitely, um, I don't know if you're playing devil's advocate or not, but you're pushing back against this kind of um, uh, idea in, and your life is way more hectic than mine, is Lawrence levels of presence practice possible for you right now? Well, and this is where I would like to hear from our listeners. A, do you experience this? B, do you want to? And C, why don't you? And, and D, is it even possible? Yeah. Um, I would say that I have, by inspiration of this kind of concept, I have dreamed of and pursued a more ready and constant um, awareness of being in his presence. And I will say 2020, the year of COVID, has really helped me in this regard hmm. because it has been my lifeline to mental sanity and emotional stability. Sure. So it actually has helped me uh, to do that better. But I, I have had the desire not to be mystically lost in space. <laughs> sure. But to be aware that I am not alone, that, that I am never not in his presence, and to invite him to participate in the moment with me by shaping my thoughts, giving me insights, pointing my eyes where to look, uh, to like really experience his peace, um, revelation from him in a conversation with a friend, um, sensing that he is guiding the conversation or that he's giving me some way to contribute to my friend's life. Yeah. Uh, these are the things that I uh, have tried to grow in practice of, and it's very challenging. And and the two approaches, you know, yeah. as I was a young man, I read I read books from, you know, guys who would say, my life is so busy that if I don't spend the first four hours with God, I'll never get anything done. Four and hours. I, yes. And I would read about these guys uh, praying hide. They called him old camel knees because he was on his knees four to six hours a day. What? And, and he said, my life doesn't work if I don't spend four to six hours a day with Jesus. Now, the contrast between that and Brother Lawrence is, Brother Lawrence says, you don't need that. 
he says you don't need that can coexist with yes he says that's what you're doing 24 hours a day yeah while you're on your feet having conversations doing your job mowing your grass balancing your checkbook reading a book playing a sport watching the nfl you can have that all the time Hmm. that's the big statement that he's making and he well i mean one of the reasons that he's famous is i'm assuming we only listened for uh, roughly an hour i'm assuming he gives some kind of tips for this do you have i made a list and I, i went back through his book and i made a list of some of his points because what i'm gonna say we're all saying listeners and you and me come on man is this really possible and i think i would like it if it is yeah uh, one of the practices that I've heard recently in the last couple of years that I tried is one guy says, I try to have a God thought every minute of every hour. Hmm. So every minute he tries to have a God thought and every minute, another God thought talking to you. Oh, time for God thought. Um, oh, God's watching this conversation. Uh, oh, wonder if God's a cowboy fan. <laughs> if he is he's deeply disappointed yeah uh you know but whatever just having trying to trying to pause one second of every minute for a god thought that overwhelms me that sounds intense <laughs> <laughs> there's no way that yeah. i could keep that up so so let me just ask you before we get into some of these uh advice from brother lawrence what would you like in terms of your ability to practice the presence of god or what kind of what kind of God interaction throughout your day, would you like? What would be your goal? And you brought up um, some guys that you had known where uh, this search for more and more and more of the presence of God is tied to guilt. And mine is less that than it is. I hate the contrast of a really, really high week or two weeks where you're tuned in. Uh, the birds are flying in to dress you in the morning like Cinderella. Like it's like, <laughs> like crazy. Uh, you're just the you're, spiritual high. You're in yeah. the zone. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you know, generously, that's ten percent of my life. And then I'm back. And I'm still. I'm. I'm not. You know, fluctuating between um, bliss and misery. I, I don't hate the rest of my time, but I want to be there all the time. So that ten percent when it comes. It lasts for a little while. Yeah. And when it's going on, do you think, oh, man, this is going to go away? Basically, This is yeah. going to go away. I don't dread it, but but I know it's not sustainable. Well, that, that's the thing. I know, quote, unquote, it's not sustainable. So yeah. when I think about this, what I want out of it is to extend that. Yes. And so it's not necessarily out of guilt. I don't beat myself up when, I, when I'm out of the zone. But I wonder, you know, was Paul in that zone for basically – all the time was was Peter in that zone all the time was Timothy what what is generally true when you're in the zone well do you, I, do you find any patterns that might have got you that's there the thing. if I was more self-aware I could probably tell you but it feels kind of like um like the tide's in it's just uh, <laughs> it just happens it just happens Here it's I like am. a biorhythm or something something yeah but it's not that it's not that uh if it is regular it's spaced out far enough to where I can't um I haven't yet realized figured out a pattern yeah I have studied my patterns um, because I do crave more, and I have studied my patterns over years. This is one of the beauties of journaling. Mm-hmm. I have in one of my bookcases, I have journals all the way back from 1983, 84. 
maybe before that. Anyway, and uh, some I've taken times where I go back and I read through the journals and I start noticing rhythms because I date every time I enter. Sure. And uh, so I think there are I think there are biorhythms. I think men have uh, uh, they're not menstrual cycles, but they're menstrual, cycles. Menstrual cycles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that God never intended for it to be a mountaintop all the time. Uh, but let's get into some of his advice because I think this might help us to um, grow our appreciation of the abiding presence of God. Because here's the deal. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So here's what's true. God is, in fact, with you mm-hmm. every moment of every day. Sure. So you're not aware of him, but he is constantly aware of you. All right. So uh, one of his first points is that simplicity is the key to divine assistance. And the simplicity in task or he says, that's what I first thought. He says simplicity in saying, I simply can't do this without you. uh, Unless I can't do this unless you enable me to. Mm. So just a simple trust, a simple, uh, a, a, a lack of effort that uh, a lack of a sense that I can make this happen. Sure. So a simplicity of divine help. I can't do it unless you help me. This is only possible. God, if you help me do it. Hmm. Okay. You can okay. kind of jump in. I'll go through. There's a bunch of these. So I'll just kind of go through them and then you jump in as you want. So to. well, just to clarify. So it's a simple understanding of your relationship with God in, in so far as him assisting you. Yes. And a simple dependence upon that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, His next one. um, We all get to take a turn at pain and suffering. I think his belief is that one of the things that draws us out of that is difficulty. Mm. And the assumption that when I'm going through pain and suffering, God has somehow there's this gap has, has occurred. Yeah. And he says one of the things to really help you is to is to embrace that your turn. To pain for pain and suffering is going to come, and when it does, it's not unusual. It's not unfair. We all get a turn, sure. And so, uh, just take that. One of my sayings that kind of I think feeds this is, <clears throat> "It's not happening to you; it's just happening." Yeah. And so, uh, to embrace that, hey, we're all going to get a turn on the pain and suffering wagon, and when it's my turn, it's just my turn, and God will be with me. And it doesn't mean he's not with me, and it doesn't mean I'm being punished, and it doesn't mean that I don't deserve his goodness. Uh, it just is. And that uh, reminds me of a caveat I should have given, is when I say all this must be nice stuff, it's not saying that a uh, um, chronically wounded war veteran in the 1600s had like a, <laughs> a better life than I do. Right. That's not necessarily the point, because he was clearly in mo- in pain for probably his entire life after war. It was... Uh, they said he was, they used the word lame. Um, I don't know. They don't really specify in what way. But. He had uh, he had um, pound lifting capacities, mm-hmm. limitations, and he had uh, mobility issues. So in terms of agility and speed. So clearly affected the it, the rest of his life from yeah. 25 on. Yeah. Um, so uh, he knew a good amount about suffering and pain. Even in a very simple, simple life. And he had seen a lot of terrible things in war that he did not want to ever discuss. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do everything for the love of God and with prayer for the grace to do it well. He goes so far as to say, never seek to please a human being ever. Hmm. So if you work for someone, 
Your goal is not to please your boss. Your goal is to please God. And in pleasing God, your boss will be pleased. So do everything for the love of God. God, I do this for you. I clean these dishes for you. I, I repair these sandals for you. I mow the grass for you. God, I write articles for you. I manage the media uh, of the church for you. I um, help my wife with dinner for you. I don't do anything for a person. I do it all for God. Hmm. That uh, reminds me, I've had this. So we've talked a lot about um, and kind of it's a little maybe stereotypical of of kind of Christianese stuff, but saying that God isn't the top of your list. He is the list or he's mm-hmm. um, with every item on the list. And uh, I had this um, that that kind of epiphany that not not um, God first and then God and your spouse, right. God and your job, that it actually the only list is God. Yes. That what if you sought only God, not God first, because the biblical language seek first kingdom what if it was really seek only the kingdom and it felt like, like, you know, when you like hear something wrong and you're like, Hmm, you can kind of feel it in your gut. It felt wrong there. And I was like, well, what if that's just because of I'm so like earthly focused brainwashed? Cause really if you're seeking only God, yes, the other stuff is taken care of in that. I think this is, I think there's something to this because when we say put God first, we'll say, well, I'll give God the first 10% of my income. Mm-hmm. And I'll give God maybe 10% of my time. I did this for a while as a young Christian. Okay, I'll tithe my time to God. So I'll give God 2.4 hours of every day. Sure. And some of that will be prayer and Bible study, and some of it will be in witnessing to people on the streets, or it'll be, you know, some religious spiritual duty. Yeah. And that's a total misnomer. That, that actually takes you out of play, not into play. Mm. And so to recognize that, um, when I love my wife, I'm loving God. I'm lo- God, I'm going to love my wife for you. God, I'm going to forgive my wife for you. God, I'm going to be kind to my neighbor across the street for you hmm. because it's all for you. Uh, that that inherently um, brings an awareness of a connection to God in everything you're doing. Okay, confession without discouragement. He says you need to have confession without discouragement. So when you confess, confess and carry on. No baggage, no ongoing regret. Confess it and carry on. Uh, Do not be discouraged about your failure. Don't let the fall have residual uh, impact in your life. Confess it and carry on. That's huge if for no other reason than I really do think – uh, shame is the number one space creator between you and God. I agree with that. It's the number one obstacle and the fastest and sneakiest of all. It's it's just the um it's it's poison. It, and it's so deep in you that you think you don't have it anymore and then bam it shows right. up again. Out of out of left field. Yeah. Um and it's so much I don't know because it's not because it is so internal you can't really guard against it with a whole lot of um, lifestyle choices. Mm-hmm. Like at least if you have tendencies similar to yours and mine, um, it's never, you're never going to be a good boy enough to not feel shame anymore. Right. Really? Like you can't, you can't change your, I can perform enough. my way out of that. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's so internal in you. Yeah. Um, and in, in my experience, 
because the suffering thing is what he brought up that kind of breaks up those periods. What brings me out of those high points is probably more shame than suffering. It's I would say rarely. Yeah, suffering. I don't think suffering's a derailer for me. Yeah. Um, I don't feel especially close to God in my suffering, but I certainly don't feel like uh, my suffering is a result of a gap between me and God. Sure. All right. I've got three or four more of these, but I want to take a break now and let's do the show and tell. Then we'll do our commercial real quick and then we'll do the next three or four and do our takeaways. Awesome. Okay. Uh, I was going to do a different item, but then you mentioned articles and I realized I have a different show and tell with me today. Oh, good. This is a... Uh, let's say four by seven, four by, oh no, four by nine, I'd call it, uh, mm-hmm. inch notepad, uh, really, uh, narrow and so long. So narrow and long. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just a binder at the top. You just flip it. So a spiral. Sp- yep. Spiral binder at the top. And it is a, a, uh, reporter's notebook. Mm. This one is branded as Oh, such. it's even called that professional reporter's notebook. Yeah. <laughs> News. Yeah. I, it's kind of silly. I don't really know because it doesn't look like you're, they're selling it to non-journalists, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't really get it, but uh, you can put all your information on there if you lose this thing. Uh, and this was, I've had a number of these. This was one that they gave us at the at Northwest, the student paper. And uh, and I would fill it out all the way from front to back, and then I'd flip it around and fill it out again. Oh wow! Back to front. So you could use it twice. So you could use it twice. But you never used the both sides of one page for the same story. Uh, no. So you only wrote on one side. So it goes chronologically yeah. front to back, and that's halfway, and then chronologically back to front, and that's the other half. Wow! Uh, that was my uh, mentor at Northwest. He gave, gave you that, that tip. Yeah, because otherwise you're flipping uh, back and forth. You have to turn yeah. around a whole yeah. bunch, and it's yeah. just kind of annoying. Um, and so I went through, not a, because of that safe uh, uh, space saving thing. I probably only went through four uh, in and your the, entire career. And this is the one. This is the one that I left Northwest with. So I actually I use this a lot for uh, my job at a, a newspaper down in uh, Chehalis, oh, a publisher down in Chehalis. And uh, but basically, soon probably halfway into this thing i started uh bringing my laptop around with me because i'm a lot faster on it and then COVID happened and then it was all laptop so because your interviews are even on zoom or whatever exactly so i really only used this thing for really impromptu stuff and i kind of missed it uh but man my handwriting especially in haste was like (laughs) unbelievable i often cannot read what i wrote it was unbelievably bad. I would have to ask Lindsay, like, can you read this? And she said, I don't, that's not even, that's not human. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's not human. it had a few, it has a few drawbacks, but it's uh, um, sentimental to me, especially because this one, this one actually came from Northwest. Uh, and it's kind of the, uh, with the utility item that you, that you won't use anymore. It's kind of a weird, sad thing, even though I don't, uh, well, and I'm while happy to be I, where I am. While I like the shape of it, I can't carry that in my back pocket. You can. That's what that, I think. That's why it's shaped like that. I would. I would often carry this in my back pocket. Really? Yeah. Well, I know you have some sweaty buttocks. <laughs> Did you ever like ruin some of your notes by having a wet pocket binder? No. So I'm not doing a whole lot of running on the job. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say. So you drive to a place. Put this in your pocket. Walk twenty feet. Oh, that's pull true. it out of your pocket. So it's not in your pocket all the time. No, no. Okay, well, that's cool. So we'll take a picture of that, drop it on the Instagram, mm-hmm. and you can take a look at it. And uh, here's our commercial. We'll be right back. 
Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. Welcome back. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our patrons. We have a new patron this week, John. Yeah, and we do. We just want to say thanks. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, that's the the Upstream team. You get a number of benefits uh, on there. You can check that out at, at uh, patreon.com slash Jim and John. There you go. All right. Next point he makes is that perfect resignation is the sure way. In other words... The trust we put in God honors him uh, much and draws out his grace toward us. So a perfect resignation is the sure way. In other words, I am resigned, God, to absolute trust in you. I do not worry. I do not fret. I'm resigned that my life will turn out precisely how you choose it to. Hmm. And so that actually... uh, demonstrates it honors God much to trust him that that fully yeah and it draws his grace into your moments what do you think of that I think I've felt that way I feel that way a lot that's probably one of my one of my greatest natural strengths not something I've had to cultivate very much and it's been accused of uh, lack of drive or passion or because I feel like the, the American Christianity is that's all good and fine. And then also work your butt work off towards your, your dreams off, right. and God's going to bless yeah. it if he wants to. Yeah. Work so, like it depends on you. Sleep like it depends on God, right. which is really code for bust your butt and right. work hard. So is that... Uh, I remember people have said, God helps those who help themselves, which is nowhere in the Bible. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. That's, that's got to be facetious. <laughs> There's no way that's legit. Uh, but what do you think about that? Well, I think that you're right that... Um, what I would accuse it of in your case is um, is a desire not to have to take responsibility or make a decision. You would prefer to be told. We've we've had this conversation before where you and your mother both claim that you would love working on an assembly line all day. <laughs> do the exact same thing all day. Punch the clock. Do some tasks that are meaningless so you can daydream all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, punch out and go home. And so I think it's attached to that is this, uh, this that I, and I, I'm very much this way. I prefer for someone else to be responsible for the outcome and I can be a passenger on their train. Gotcha. Uh, because it's less pressure. Sure. Uh, but it's an interesting thing to live perfectly resigned that God's will is going to be played out in my because, life. And that sounds very passive. It does. Um, but there's some safety there. Yeah, and obviously I've- I had a, a an adult, a young adult single person who said, you know, I really want to be married. I really want to be married. And I'm like, well, but you don't do anything to meet anyone. <laughs> you don't, you don't 
look, go to places where young, uh, young adults are. You don't make any move toward online dating. Mm-hmm. You don't uh, ask your friends to introduce you to their friends. You make no effort. I know because I'm, cause God's going to bring me my wife. So you think you're going to sit in your recliner and be cool with God, and he's going to bring a woman to you. Yes. He'll order a pizza one day and, and knock, he knock, said, knock. I'm not going to chase it. It's going to come to me. And doggone it, it did. Really? Yes. And I was like, <laughs> God, what are you doing? You're reinforcing his laziness. But he was practicing this very thing. I don't want to go find a girl. I want God to bring me the girl he has for me. I don't recommend that. I'm just telling you the story. That didn't go at all how I thought it was going to (laughs) go. That just shows how little faith I have, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I found this one interesting. Don't practice so much religion that you lose the love of God. Wow, that's big. I think that. Which is the end of all things, he says. The the love of God. Yeah, the whole point of everything is the love of God. And don't practice so much religion that you lose the love of God. Yeah. That's pretty good advice. That's great. It's hard to. A lot of these, where I feel really self-conscious oftentimes in my um, my faith is that I can't manufacture feelings. I can't make um, an affection, right? right? It has right. to just be there. Right. So there are times where I am dutifully following God rather than... Without, uh, without feeling. Without, without feeling, yeah. yeah. And so I feel very self-conscious of those, of those times. Um, but I say that's okay. I mean, you do that for your wife. There are times yeah. when you can't wait to be with her. And there's other times I'm going to be with her. We're doing something I don't really want to do, but I want to be with her. And I want to want to be with her. Right. So I will. Yeah. And and it's just, it's not that you're begrudging being there, but it is so high on your priorities list that it's not really a question of yes or no. It's, right. But it's, it's not a burning emotion in you at that moment. Exactly. Exactly. And maybe the difference is I wouldn't necessarily call that religion because you're not it's not in any um, like ceremony or like I'm not finding my salvation in these things or my my security in these things. But yeah, yeah, I guess that's that's my own personal struggle with that entry. Yeah. Okay, I've got two more for you, and then we're going to wrap this up. And this is a lot. This is a lot of principles. Okay, uh, sanctification occurs in common business. Do not depend on a changing of your works. Just do those works for God. I don't understand the second With part. With no view okay. to please men, but only to please God. So sanctification, which is your ongoing conformity to the image of Jesus. Right. It happens in the grind and the and the business of your life. It happens in the way you buy, sell, and trade. It happens in the way you do your vocation. It happens in the way you raise your kids. It happens in the way you do your marriage. This is the process of sanctification. So yeah. Again, this is a part of not separating your faith life with your real life or your work life or your money life. It's all your faith life, and your ongoing sanctification actually takes place in the bump and grind of the daily life. That's where it's actually happening. That, um, I'm totally on board with that. The second part was where I was kind of like, I I didn't fully understand what that means. Yeah, disregard it then. It wasn't. Okay. he writes in 1600s French English. So uh, he's sometimes hard to understand. Yeah. So, and that's kind of, I wonder if a lot of people, I don't know, like a lot, maybe you're waiting for like a big moment. Yeah. Like, like uh, to, to well, represent you, you yourself. Would, you would to, say, if I'm going to become more like Jesus, I need to go away and pray about it. 
Right. And he says, no, if you want to be more like Jesus, do what you're doing right now with Jesus because this is how he's going to shave off the rough edges and sharpen you. And this is where the presence of Christ is going to reveal itself, not over there where no one's affected by it, but right here in the grind. Yeah. I really like that. And that's kind of, I would say that might be the foundation of this entire thing is that he's saying in the, in the actual uh, bricks of your life and what makes up your life, you can be with God in all, in all, and and all of it is um, sacred. Yeah. Okay. Here's the last one. And it goes back to maybe this passive resignation, have no will, but the will of God. Mm -hmm. I have no goals except that God's will occur in my life. Yeah. I have no aspirations except that I become who God wants me to become. I will climb in this business world to the height that God wants me to climb and not one step higher. My desire is only that God's desire for me become real. What do you think of that? I think that's the same the same gut feeling I had when I had this thought of only God. Mm-hmm. Um of like a sinking feeling. Because I do value other things. Mm-hmm. So I would love to be in my dream job with God. When really, I think he's on point here, where really I should love only that I'm exactly where God wants me to be. And so, that, I, that, I'm, that I followed him only. So if you're unemployed and you're being a barista because your, your dream career hasn't opened up to you, maybe you're picking up dog poop. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you can, in that moment, say, man, I am doing this for God, and he is with me, and his timing is right. And no resentment. There's, I'm not bitter about this. I'm not in a holding pattern. I'm, my life won't finally be happy when I can be fully with God, um, pleasing to God, living my life purpose while I scoop this dog poop. And I, I sense that that would be easier for me. This, this whole thing of passivity is easier for me than maybe for you. Is there any, any sort of pushback you have on this thing? Well, I want it to be true, but it's, it's hard. And I think mm. uh, personality and temperament are a huge factors in how we experience God and what our walk with God looks like. But I also, I think of the verse that came to my mind while you were talking a second ago, do not love the world or the things of this world for whoever loves the world the love of the father's not in him. Mm. And maybe this is what brother Lawrence is talking about is I don't love God and I love the world and I don't love God first and love the world second. I just love God Mm -hmm. and I thank him for the world and I enjoy ice cream, (laughs) but I don't have to have $42 million. Right. I can have whatever dollars God gives me and I can enjoy those dollars. And I can enjoy my little home or my mansion. I can enjoy living on a farm, and I can enjoy living on the coast, and I can enjoy living in a high-rise downtown in Trump Tower. I can enjoy living in the White House. I can enjoy living in the poorhouse because I am with God. And my life finds its fulfillment, not in this world or in the things of this world, but in God himself. I really want to be that guy. Yeah. And I have... A big part of my question here, um, and this is a qualm I've had for a long time with, um, and part of this is because this is, again, something that I daydream about, is um, the 
uh, ethics of a Christian living a a reclusive life like this one. Mm -hmm. So we have the Great Commission. um, uh, We have all, you know, the Evergreen Mission about uh, Oikos, which Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. you know, we would say is the mission of every Christian. Yep. Um, A a sort of uh, um, a productive work kind of, not work is a word of definite baggage in this conversation, but but uh um, well certainly influence inf- and mm-hmm. yeah and um impact yeah and the reclusive life you can't minister per se you i mean he's around other um brothers but um and i wonder if this kind of seeking god alone is really the answer there because um i mean you know we're we're reading about brother lawrence now He's affirming us. He has made a substantial contribution to the kingdom of God, even though all he did was wash dishes and cobble shoes. Yeah. So that is an interesting point. I think of this much similar to um, would you be willing to die for God? I think taking a bullet to the brain for God would be far easier than living uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for 50, 60 years for God. Mm. that uh, that I think uh, to go away out into the countryside and live with a bunch of people who are all pursuing this God experience yeah. in a simplistic life, I think that's copping out. I think that's the easy route. Now, it's easy for me to say that, and I could be dead wrong. Um, I know that it doesn't make you more spiritual, I think if I wanted to look at the crown of spirituality, I would not look at someone who withdrew to the mountains to be alone with God for 40 years. I would look at Mother Teresa, who went to the slums of Calcutta and who served lepers and the poor yeah, and was busy 24 hours a day because need never stopped. I would say she's doing it better than he is. So then... I mean, but you don't seem to. I think, just really sounded judgmental, didn't I? Well, I was going to say you don't seem. Up until now, you didn't seem to think that there was anything uh, wrong. With, I don't think there's with, anything wrong with what he did. I think it's a different choice, and I think it is the. Uh, on the other hand, I have friends who have said, "You know what my life dream is to go to heaven and take as many people with me as possible," and they would say, "I will choose my pathway based on the number of." possible people to influence Mm -hmm. so if they're a pastor that's why they justify pastoring a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger church because i want to influence as many people as possible and the idea is that big crowds big impact these matter to god i do think some of the greatest heroes in heaven will be people we've never heard of who lived very simple lives very low income lives loving a handful of people or a community of people extremely well with their whole life. So I don't think it's about volume and impact and splash, but I do think running away from the pressures of this world so that you can isolate with God is not what God had in mind as a lifestyle. Yeah. I think it's good to withdraw. Jesus did that often. I don't think you're, I don't think he would, he would ask you to just go withdraw and live as a recluse forever so that you could be in a spiritual utopia for the rest of your life. I don't know if I feel resolved on that because because here we could say that this was, if any of us could know, this was the will of of God for Brother Lawrence to go live in seclusion and cobble shoes and write letters and and eventually edify a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I would contrast this with a guy named Henry Nowen 
who was a priest who got very famous, man, great theologian, excellent writer. He wrote a book called The Wounded Healer, which is one of the best books I've ever written. It's tiny, Mm. powerful book. And uh, after he got famous, he felt like God wanted him to become not famous. (laughs) And so he went and served um, developmentally disabled kids in a remote uh, like farm for the rest of his life. Oh man. And these kids had no idea who he was. They just wanted their cereal on time and they were, they would throw food at him if he was late. Uh, you know, so here he went from and people, what, what era was this? Uh, I don't remember his, uh, years of life, uh, 1900s, I think. Sure. But, um, you know, there's a guy who made the big splash and then recognized that he was beginning to feel entitled, that he was beginning to feel special, that he was beginning to feel like he was somehow a gift to crowds. And he wanted to confront that love he had for fame. And he went and served people who didn't know his name and who couldn't care less who he was or what, how many degrees he had or how many books he had written. And he said God told him to do it for two years. And at the end of two years, he decided to stay there for the rest of his life. Man. And, uh, you know, I really, that's a hero to me. Yeah. And so really, I guess what God is doing inside of you, what your motives are, how much of your ego has actually been crucified and brought into submission. I really love this concept Tim Keller has of the freedom of Mm self-forgetfulness. It's not that it's about me at all, whether I'm in a remote place or I'm in the city, whether I have big crowds or no crowds, whether anybody knows my name or never knows my name. I have the freedom of not, I can forget myself Yeah, because my world is him and my life is on mission with him. What's your takeaway from this whole conversation, John? What's your biggest takeaway? There's a lot of stuff there. This actually turned out to be a far better episode, I think, than either of us had in mind. <laughs> well, I hope there's a confession. Yeah, there you go. Um, I guess my takeaway uh, would be, man, and the bit there at the end of of you know the ethics of of seclusion or whatever is it, not really that pertinent to the to his message here, right? Um, but it would be about really the um, that this could be possible mm-hmm. to me because my it shows how kind of jaded I am that my first reaction is yeah right old man from the 1600s <laughs> like, you know uh, yeah right on your carriage to take three weeks to get somewhere that I can go in five minutes right exactly uh, yeah and uh, but really it's that uh, you know, cook that with guy, no microwaves <laughs> <laughs> cook over an open fire and yeah. That guy who they called the camel knees or what they yeah. oh camel knees oh, camel knees uh, um, that you don't have to live that way where you're thinking how can I make more and more sacred margin for God mm-hmm. instead of how how thoroughly can I infiltrate the rest of my time with God and how can I make every moment sacred we've talked about this where um, I have one of my another one of my big breakthroughs on our episodes has been um, that. Uh, that doing the dishes can be God pleasing sacred and that reading a non theological book because you're tired and you want to pass some time can be sacred. Mm -hmm. This is a huge, huge breakthrough for me. And this um, in a more, even more sacred way can be all of these things can be spending time with God as if, you know, me and uh, my wife, our favorite thing is to be sitting on the same couch doing different things right next to each other. And never and, saying a word. And never saying, I mean, eventually, but yeah. we could do that for hours. Yeah. And it feels like we've been together the whole time. time. Yeah. And I think it can really be like that with God. 
Um, so really, it, it does make me hopeful, and it makes me feel like kind of a baby for being like, man, my life's too complicated for mm. the presence of God. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. that can't be the case. So uh, um, I don't necessarily have an action plan from here, but I but I, I feel uh, I'm I, more hopeful than I was coming into it. Yeah, I, I, I love the... Uh, the feedback you're providing. And I love the, uh, and, and especially the secular sacred breakdown Mm -hmm. is huge that, that, uh, to the, to the faithful, all things are godly. Mm -hmm. Um, so today I cooked chicken on the grill and, you know, some baked potatoes and that was sacred, godly behavior to -hmm. do that. Uh, so I think that's really cool. Once one guy said, um, that he said to, to, to the Lord one morning, Lord, be with me today. And the Lord said, no, you be with me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think there's something to that. You know, yeah. Lord, instead of saying, Lord, come with me and do what I do today. Hey, Lord, I'm going to join you. Whatever you're doing today, I want to do that. And hmm. um, you know what he's doing with you? He's doing your job, and he's doing your job well and glorifying God. So I, I really like, I like your comment that, uh, the goal is not to put God first. The goal is for God to be everything. Yeah. I, I really think that's where I'm at with this conversation. It's where it's brought me. And flip of the coin with that, because that bar is so high, is his um, his little asterisk there about don't, this isn't a point of shame or it right. shouldn't be a source of shame right. when, when you don't make that goal. If you've gone an entire day or two days without thinking a God thought, confess it and move on. Yeah. Hey, God, sorry I didn't talk about you the last couple of days. What do you want to do today? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good friend when you can do that with a friend. You yeah. know, and there's no baggage. It's like, man, I'm sorry. I haven't called you. You called me three times and I didn't return your calls. But here I am. Sorry about that. And then you both move on. Yeah. And the beauty of um, of Lawrence's kind of attitude or heart here is I don't think he knew the impact he would have. And I don't think he would care hardly at all. It wasn't a goal. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of a – it really shows um, – the power of living only for God. Yeah, that's not, true. God can God take man. it wherever he wants to take it. Yeah. And, and yeah, he's dead and gone and doing probably just fine right now. I bet he is. So that's awesome. Well, hey, thanks for listening today. As always, we're really grateful for our listeners and our patrons. And uh, our only ask of you is if, if this is encouraging to you, share it with a friend. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. Thank you guys so much. Uh, we're always into your feedback, which you can give to us via email at info at Jim and John uh, on our website. And uh, Jim and John.com. Jim and John.com. Thank you. No H in the John. No H in the John. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks a bunch. 